Welcome to History Class After Hours. I'm just Farron. Joining me is Ron again. Hello. Again. Again. Uh, so piggybacking on last week uh, during our two-parter on Al Capone, we just kept on getting a little bit of a chuckle of some of these nicknames. Yep. So upon doing some research, I found a list of most notorious mob nicknames that was brought to me by NPR, the people who have a very soothing tone of voice. Should we do this episode just in the NPR voices? This is all things considered. Like that. Probably not. Um, no. I, I have Never to, mind. I had to get physical therapy on my ankle in my school. And every Tuesday, I'd go to the office and NPR would be playing. And I'd be sitting in the waiting room for like 45 minutes listening to NPR. Fun How story. was it? Fun. Yeah. Great. Good times. <laughs> uh, so the first guy, his name is Francis Salam. Salam? I think I'm pronouncing that wrong, but well. Also known as Cadillac Frank. Did he? I can only imagine why. Hmm. Maybe uh, he owned a Cadillac? Kind of. Kind of? Uh, he was a hitman and then eventually the boss of the Patricia crime family in Boston. Uh, he got his nickname from working at an auto body shop in Boston where he specialized in fixing Cadillacs. Uh -huh. So they're like, we'll just call you Cadillac. Um, the local newspaper says the name came from somewhere else. Uh, he would have a friend key every 30 or 40th new Cadillac coming off the truck uh, to that dealership. He would then buff out the damage and sell the car for a lower price. Uh some weird type of bracket going on there. I, I guess, know. yeah. Um, 1968, he had arranged the car bombing of John Fitzgerald, who was the lawyer of a mob informant. He would go on the run, but eventually be caught in 1972 by FBI agent John Conley, who was actually working for a rival gang, the Secret Hill Gang. I, I feel like I've heard John Connolly before. Um, if you've ever seen the movie, oh, fantastic movie. Kind of plays on that. Is it Leonardo DiCaprio? Ben, no, um, Scorsese movie. Uh, Takes place Wolf, in Boston. Jack uh, Nicholson. I can't. It's not it. Wolf of Wall Street. Just That's... as, just as, basically, there's a mob agent who infiltrates the FBI. Okay. And there's this whole something with the anyway. Uh, he'd be released from jail, and an informant. As an informant. And Wait, is it The Departed? Yes, it's okay. The Departed. That's it, yes. That, I haven't seen it. Oh, I just Phenomenal movie. All right. I was just thinking through my head, like, oh, what Leonardo DiCaprio movies start with the D? I'm pretty good at, like, oh, this is how the movie's going to end. Like, I'm pretty good at predicting that. That's one that I'm just like, what is happening? All right. I got to add that to my list. All right. So he's going to be released from jail, and he becomes an informant to testify against Conley in the 2000s, only to be thrown back in jail when during the trial, it was brought up that he murdered a nightclub owner. Oh. And what had happened is, he had bragged to a fellow inmate that the prosecutors had coached him to commit perjury in the initial trial, um, so much that he should be sentenced to 100 years in jail. <laughs> well, the inmate was also an informant who wrote down his confession. He's going to be charged with perjury. 2018, he would also be convicted for the murder of a nightclub owner. He says his brother did it. 
I mean, he's already in jail for What's perjury. Like, he's his brother or son. Like, he's already in jail for a while yeah. for perjury. Like, you know, might as well. Ready for the next one? Sure. Albert Tannenbaum, also known as TikTok. TikTok Tannenbaum. Okay. He was a hitman for Murder Incorporated, the enforcement arm of the Italian-American Mafia, Jewish mob, and other organized crime groups around New York. So they kind of had a go-to organization. So if any one of these organized crime families wanted somebody whacked, I guess they went to Murder Incorporated. That was scary. Uh, they probably Ro started the corporation in Delaware. Because you can get any you can get like any yeah five minutes and I think it's like ten dollars or something. Ooh, maybe we should get a corporation for maybe. I feel like we've talked about this before in a different <laughs> episode. After World War One, Tannenbaum began working at a resort in upstate New York that was owned by his father and frequented by Manhattan's Jewish mobsters. When Tannenbaum was twenty-five, he met a guest at the club by the name of Jacob Gura Shapiro. Close associate of infamous Jewish gangster Lepke Bukalter. Shapiro felt that Tannenbaum had what it took to become a mob hitman and introduced them to the underworld. I have no clue what Tannenbaum was doing at this resort, but he <laughs> was just walking by and someday just beating up some guy and like, hey, you owe me money. Like, oh, you'd be a good hitman. Want to come work with me? <laughs> Uh, Shapiro controlled the industrial labor racketing for 20 years in New York and established Murder Incorporated, which Tannenbaum would later join. Um, so when you hear like industrial labor racketeering, basically they they take advantage of unions and they get their guys like plushy like industrial job like construction jobs, but they don't do anything. It's kind of like a way of laundering money. It's like, all right, he's on payroll for his company, but he's not actually doing anything. Kind of that stuff. There was a lot of that stuff in Goodfellas also. And, and yeah. Sopranos. You ever watched that? I haven't watched it yet. There, there's all these windows of opportunity. There's a lot of... The only Mafia movies I've seen are Godfather, Godfather 2, and Goodfellas. And Goodfellas just happens to be my favorite movie ever. So You would like Casino then. Also all right. Scorsese. Okay. Casino Scorsese. A lot of Scorsese movies I gotta watch. Yeah, Scorsese is fantastic. Uh, so Tannenbaum progressed rapidly through the ranks of organized crime, criminal violence. He began as an enforcer, a strike breaker, being paid fifty dollars a week. His salary would be raised to seventy-five dollars and later a hundred dollars a week. When he became a full-fledged contract killer in Murder Incorporated, he was paid one hundred and twenty-five dollars a week for his services. He got the nickname TikTok by Jacob Shapiro because of a ceaseless clock-like nervous banter. I thought it was going to be for, like, a Bomb. cool reason. I, I thought it was going to be like he made bombs. With oh, the that's not what that's I was what thinking. I thought, oh. Because if he's just like... <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to be like he, um, like, he, like, only, like, whacked someone at a certain time or something. <laughs> I don't know. That's what he called his bat TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he becomes an informant and dies in 1976. All right, next guy's name is Israel Alderman, also known as Ice Pick Willie. Okay. I'm going to take a, a guess here. Did he kill people with an ice pick? Yeah. All right. 
He was a mob enforcer in Minneapolis during the mid-20th century. He garnered a nickname Ice Pick Willie by murdering people using an ice pick to stab them through the eardrum, puncturing their brain, and leaving no sign of foul play during autopsies. Oh my gosh. So he must have been pretty good at that. Kind of scary. Don't know what he was practicing on. Um, Another man claimed to have committed 11 ice pick murders at the speakeasy he owned in Minneapolis alone. Victims would slump over the bar, appearing to be drunk, and he would drag the bodies out with no questions asked. He later became a Las Vegas casino investor and manager and eventually went to prison for tax evasion. Get you every time. Yep. That's what they get you with. Taxes. Not, not the 11 murders, but taxes. You need to put your money through a, like, a business and then have that be income from the business and make it taxable. I don't know. I'm going on a... <laughs> I'm going off of what my friends told me. Uh -oh. So none of my friends are committing tax evasion. Don't worry. They can't even pay their taxes. I oh, think they them. learned that off of like Better Call Saul or something. Oh, I don't know. Next guy, we kind of talked about him, but not him specifically in our Capone episodes. Anthony Accardo, also known as Big Tuna or Joe Batters. Uh, he was now, now I'm thinking about like beer battered tuna, which oh, I feel like wouldn't be good. Be yeah, warm tuna is disgusting. But now I'm just thinking of fried fish in general. Now I really want some. <laughs> well, he didn't like fried fish. That's not what I'm thinking. But uh, he was a boss of Chicago outfit and is credited with greatly increasing the power and wealth of the group during his eight decade involvement. Eight decades. Eight decades. Eight years. Did he, like, start when he was two or something? He was younger. Uh, during Prohibition, he received his first nickname, Joe Batters, because Accardo was the one that used the baseball bat to kill the three mobsters that betrayed Al Capone. And I remember, they had Al Capone invited them all to dinner and had these three guys killed. Well, Joe Batters was the one that killed him mm. with the baseball bat. And Al Capone said, boy, this kid's a real Joe Batters. And that's how he got his name. <laughs> he would boast over federal wiretaps that he was involved in the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, which we talked about last week. He is also the one who killed Brooklyn gang boss Frankie Yale. No. We were trying to figure out why Frankie Yale was killed at his bar in the harbor, but now we know who did it. Not Frankie Yale. It was Joey Batters. So sad. He also may have been involved in the assassination of Jaime Weiss. Oh. Which was the, the Northside gang's leader. Uh, he would take over the Chicago outfit after then-boss Frank Nitty committed suicide. Frank Nitty took over after Capone, but Nitty, Nitty was claustrophobic and was afraid of going back to prison. Mm. So he killed himself. Nitty was also, I believe, Capone's main hitman. Yeah, I think, I think so. Um, Go um, listen to our last two episodes to find out if yeah. we're right or not. We don't know. <laughs> Under Accardo's leadership in the late 40s, outfit moved into slot and vending machines, counterfeiting cigarette and liquor tax stamps, and expanding the narcotics smuggling. He got the second name, Big Tuna, when a Chicago newspaper uh, saw a picture of him with a tuna. <laughs> How original. Hey, you caught a fish. We'll just call you Big Tuna. Maybe. Maybe it was a really big fish, though. I guess. I don't know. Yeah. 
1978, when Ocardo vacationed in California, burglars entered his River Forest home. Shortly afterwards, three suspects and four related persons were found strangled and with their throats cut. I would not suggest robbing a mobster's house, especially one of that, yeah. that, that magnitude. Uh, law enforcement officials believe Arcado had ordered the killings in retaliation for the burglar. In 2002, this theory was confirmed on the witness stand by outfit turncoat Nicholas Calabrese, who had participated in all the murders. It seems like what happens is these guys get caught and they're basically told, like, you know what? We're going to execute you for all your crimes if you don't tell us something. And then they become witness protection program like good fellas good fellas uh surviving assassins were all convicted in the family secret trial and sentenced to long prison terms um of Ocardo's death in 92 robert r fusel executive director of the chicago crime commission remarked that the capone era had finally come to an end despite an arrest record dating back to 1922 Ocardo spent only one night in jail and probably didn't even have to go in a cell <laughs> Because as we talked about last week, everybody was corrupt and paid off. Yeah. All right. So Donald Angelini, a.k.a. the Wizard of Odds. Odds? Odds. Did he like to gamble? He did. He was a member of the Chicago Outfit and operated a highly successful sports betting empire. He later became the Outfitter's enforcer in Las Vegas, tasked with protecting the organization's illegal casino profits. Angelini's nickname comes from his gambling skills and his work in the betting world. In the 1980s, Angelini, Sam's Wings, Carlisi, and John No-Nose DeFranzo <laughs> attempted to extend outfit influence over the gambling operations of the Recone Indian Reservation near San Diego, California. No-Nose got his nickname because he was jumping through a window after robbing a clothing store and he cut off his nose. <laughs> The police officer gave it back to him, though, and they sewed it back on. <laughs> <laughs> so their objective was to skim profits off the casino's profits. And Angelini is going to be sentenced to 37 months in prison because of this. He dies in 2000. Next is Joseph Bonanno. Now I really want to know what happens to No-Nos. I think he goes to prison, too. Ah. Joseph Bonanno, also known as Joe Bananos. <laughs> because I thought his last name sounded like Bananas. Uh, he was Sicilian-born American who became the boss of the Bonanno crime family. Uh, once again, his nickname Joe Bananas by the newspapers, a reference to both his name and the perception of his mental state. Oh. So they thought he was Bananas. Um, as a result, the entire Bonanno family was sometimes referred to as the Bananas family. Uh, and they get in a war called the Banana War with a bunch of gangs during the 60s in New York City. Uh, he hated the nickname and much preferred Don Pepino, <laughs> which originated from his original Italian name. Uh, he had several legitimate businesses, including three coat manufacturing companies, laundries, cheese suppliers, funeral homes, and trucking companies. The funeral parlor Bonanno owned in Brooklyn was suspected to be used as a front for disposing bodies, specifically building double-decker coffins to fit more than one body in a casket. That's ingenuity there. I'll make a double-decker coffin so I can dispose of more people that I've murdered. Um, in 1963, he made plans to assassinate several top rivals on the Mafia Commission, which was the governing body of the American Mafia. After the plot was foiled, Bonanno would flee to Montreal, 
He eventually returns to the U.S. for trial and then fakes a kidnapping and disappears again for a couple years, leaving all his guys out to dry. They weren't really happy about that. Uh, he eventually returned to New York City to end the gang war, basically saying, all right, I'm retiring and moving to Arizona. I didn't know that was a thing in the mafia, but I guess it is. He's like, I'm done. I'm retiring. I'm pretty sure um, the um, Al Capone, the guy he took over for after um, like he got shot mm-hmm. a ton, I'm pretty sure he moved to Arizona. Or he moved somewhere, but he like moved out of Chicago, I think. Just like, I'm done? Yeah. Okay. Well, Joey Bananas dies. 2002, heart failure. Uh, ah. Yeah. I mean... That's probably the least likely way for a mafia member to go out. For a guy that that is responsible for so much death, he has to build special double-decker coffins. Yeah. Yeah. Next guy, Joseph Ambrosino, also known as Joey Brains. Was he smart? Oh, uh... I think it was the opposite. Oh, Ambrosini was a member of the Persico faction who got his nickname while a cop was chasing him through Brooklyn, according to 2007 testimony by mob informant Larry Matza. The cop was running after Ambrosino for using a fake credit card. With the cop right behind him, he decided to run into a local mob hangout, the Wimpy Boys Social Club. And then the cop was just like, hey, look at all these guys that we've been looking for. <laughs> Maybe maybe don't hang out all together. (laughs) This and other occasions led to Ambrosino's reputation as being not so bright, and that's why they gave him the nickname Joey Brains. Uh, He later violated mafia protocol when he instructed his wife to gather up all their guns and put them on the neighbor's porch, fearing the cops were going to search his home. This resulted in a plot to murder his mom. Uh Uh-huh. What'd she do? <laughs> I mean, it kind of makes sense. Like, why is mom though? But not him. True. Yeah. I mean, what does mom do? Well, that's more like <laughs> mental warfare than. But I mean, still, like, yeah, his mom didn't do anything. His mom kinda... did not do anything though. Good thing it said plot, plot, not the, not the murder. Mm, all right. So maybe it was uncovered. Next guy, John D'Amico, a.k.a. Jackie Nose. He was a street boss for the Gambino family before becoming acting boss of the family when John Gotti and his son, Junior Gotti, were investigated by the federal government. According to a mob informant, D'Amico received his nickname because he had rhinoplasty to change what the informant said was a big distorted nose. Mm. He was not fond of the nickname. He was released from prison in 2012. Now he's free. That's all I got on him. I tried finding more on him. There wasn't a lot. There wasn't a lot of no. Him, no. Not no, nothing on Jackie knows. <clears throat> no. Uh just he didn't like the nickname. Um next guy, Louis Antanasio Jr. aka Louis Haha. So and- either he was hysterical, like he he would laugh at everything he would say, or he was like not funny at all. Crazy. Oh. Crazy person. I guess there's a third option then. He was a reputed captain in the Bonanno family, also he worked for Joey Bonanno, who took part in the murder of Bonanno soldier Caesar 
Von Ventre. Von Ventre's body was hacked into pieces, placed into a 55 into three 55 gallon drums in a New Jersey warehouse. That sounds like the Santa Claus origin story that we talked about. <laughs> Go listen to our episode on that if you're really confused right, that, right now. That, that really morbid story of a butcher doing that to some boys, and then was it Saint Nick? Yeah, and I like, think so. Resurrected them. Yeah. Them, yeah. That didn't happen here. They didn't get resurrected. No, Saint Nick didn't come to the rescue. Ah. Upon the body's recovery, it took forensic technicians three months to identify it. Anastasio earned his nickname Louis Haha because he was known to laugh every time he heard of murder. During the 1980s, he was convicted of tax evasion for trying to bribe a state trooper. He received five, five years in prison. Ninety-six, he was indicted on racketeering and loan sharking charges. He reportedly ran a loan sharking operation in the 80s while in federal prison on his tax evasion conviction. <laughs> you gotta think, who, who is he connected with in prison that he's capable of doing this? Probably like, he's got I don't even know. He's got people on the outside. Definitely. 2004, he's indicted once again on charges of murder, conspiracy to murder, and loan sharking. To avoid prosecution, he and his uh, wife, Erica, fled to St. Martin, the Dutch one, uh, where he maintained a residence. In 2004, he was arrested by members of the St. Martin police force. After they received a tip, he was residing there. He was extradited um, and faced the charges. On September 20th, 2006, he was sentenced to 15 years in prison as part of his plea agreement. For the 84 Bonaventure murder. In April 2014, he was serving his sentence at the Federal Correctional Institution, a low security unit in Elkton, Ohio. He's been released. Mm. He was released in 2017. Do you think he's still loan sharking and everything? Or murdering? Hopefully not. Oh, I forgot about the murdering part. I just heard loan shark over and over again, and that kind of like went out of my brain. Luigi. Manachi Manaccio. I don't know. Also known as Baby Shacks. Baby Shacks. Baby Shacks. Uh, he is the former boss of New England-based Pachurikov uh, crime family. Providence Journal mistakenly heard from a source that his nickname was Baby um, Shanks, and proceeded to refer to him that for years. So. His nickname was really Baby Shacks, but the newspaper calls him Baby Shanks. He loved that. Uh, basically, it was because he liked ladies. That's why he got the nickname huh. Baby Shacks. He pled guilty to extortion. After finishing his sentence in 2015, he walked free at the age of 88. 88? 88. Wow. Like, some of these, like, some of these mob members, like, it's so weird that like some of them are like in their 90s yes like i like for some reason i expect like all of them to be and careers too their careers are like 50 years i know that's insane it's crazy all right speaking of long career last guy joseph karna also known as junior lollipops he was a captain of the colombo crime family he worked for the family for more than 30 years, with the rest dating back to 1959. He got his nickname from his father, who owned a restaurant called Lolly's in Brooklyn. 
His father was known as Senior Lollipop. <laughs> Why? Well, he goes to jail too. Ah. Uh, for money laundering. All right. Yeah. In 2012. He's out. I think he's dead though. Uh, I don't know. But there you go. Interesting mob nicknames. Yeah. Like Lollipops. And No Nos. Jackie Nose. <laughs> no Nose. Joey Brains. Joe Bananas. Yep. Thank you for listening. Join us next week. Thank you for tuning in to History Class After Hours, the show where we talk about the things your history teachers didn't have time to teach you. If you wanted to stay updated on upcoming events for the History Club, please visit www.starsmillhistoryc.wixsite.com forward slash 2020. If you liked this episode, please share it with your friends and subscribe to our channel on iTunes Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Be on the lookout for new episodes, and we'll be posting every week. Until next time, stay curious.